So, how much worse does it get in the latest film, The Rise of Skywalker? Well, I have to say, sadly, and I really hate to say this because I, I really did not want to come out of the film feeling this way, but I really liked it. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Mr. Reagan. As we all know, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi did not satisfactorily meet fan expectations with regard to continuing the saga of Luke, Leia, and Han. The Last Jedi in particular was an unmitigated disaster. The film seemed more like a framework upon which to hang SJW feminist propaganda points than it did an outer space adventure film. This was a trend started in The Force Awakens, and it was continued in The Last Jedi. The Force Awakens seemed to ensure that the heroes were made up of mostly non-white people and women, and the villains were mostly white men. It took a few moments to get the coordinates from the Nava computer, but eventually the producers of the new Star Wars films made the SJW jump into hyperspace, and we found ourselves navigating through an asteroid field of SJW propaganda. The writers of Rogue One even went so far as to tweet their intention of depicting the villains as racist white men and the heroes as specifically non-white and female. Here is the actual post from Chris White's on Twitter. Please note that the Empire is a white supremacist human organization. And his co-writer Gary Witta added, opposed by a multicultural group led by brave women. <laughs> These tweets were both deleted, naturally, uh, because they're totally inappropriate for a film series with a loyal following of almost totally white men. But actually, the primary reason that I was upset with The Force Awakens was not the SJW stuff, although that was, of course, annoying. But what was worse, it was really just a copy of the original Star Wars, A New Hope. I mean, it was pretty well near an identical story. They just replaced Luke with Rey, uh, Obi-Wan with Han Solo, they replaced Vader with Kylo Ren, they replaced the Death Star with a Death Planet. It was weird. I don't think I've ever seen a sequel so blatantly rip off the original before. Ever. Now, I'm sure that J.J. Abrams will say that it was an homage, an attempt to give the fans what they wanted. But honestly, I think that's just an excuse for cowardice and lack of talent. I think that what the fans really wanted was an original story that was as brilliant as the original Star Wars. And maybe I'm being too harsh in my assessment, but as a writer myself, a writer who believes that he could have done exactly that... The idea that J.J. Abrams and the writers who were hired to make The Force Awakens people paid millions of dollars, the idea that they couldn't do that, well, as a fan of Star Wars, it's disappointing. And as a writer who was not hired on to write that project, it's infuriating. Anyway, that was just the first major issue that I had with The Force Awakens. Another perhaps bigger issue was that they didn't make it about Luke, Han, and Leia. Why? These actors might not be around much longer. Carrie Fisher is proof of that. If you were going to follow up on their adventures, this was your last shot at doing that. But instead, you introduced all of these other characters that nobody cares about. Why? There are so many places that this story could have gone that would have been amazing with Luke, Han, and Leia as the primary characters. It's unfathomable to me that they didn't make these films about them. Of course, introducing new characters would have been natural in such films, and you'd, you'd have been able to make three more sequels using their, their kids and these new characters. A good example of an amazing character introduction to the Star Wars universe is, of course, Baby Yoda. But before I talk about that, I have to sell you something. You know, more and more companies are struggling right now, and one casualty of this might be your 401k. 
American workers are finding their retirement money is being frozen and their plans being canceled. Finding your pension suddenly terminated isn't a great place to be, but it does give you a few options. You can withdraw your funds and get taxed a lot. If your workplace has gone out of business, but you have a new job, you can roll it over to your new employer, but you'll have the same risks. Or you could put the money into your own personal IRA account, where it's your right to choose your own investment. With stock markets, property, and bonds looking pretty rocky right now, precious metals, gold and silver, might be the way to go. Noble Gold are experts on precious metal IRAs. They've kept thousands of families safe when their futures were pulled out from under them. Call 877-646-5347 or hit the link below to get your free investment guide. Check out noblegoldinvestments.com today. All right, all right, we are back. Now, one Star Wars project that has really been doing things right lately is The Mandalorian. This show succeeds where the films fail, I think, because no SJW junk, as, at least as far as I've been able to see. And for the most part, good, simple stories set within the Star Wars universe with a solid, satisfying Star Wars aesthetic. I mean, Baby Yoda is a freaking phenomenon. Now, I know they tried to do this with BB-8 in The Force Awakens and with Porgs in The Last Jedi, and they did have a little success with those, but the success was fleeting, and these have not proven to be icons of the series. Who even remembers Porgs two years after The Last Jedi? No one, because they're lame. Baby Yoda, on the other hand, now that's a character that might be popular forever. I mean, come on. Baby Yoda is just awesome. The Mandalorian himself, or Mando as they call him in the show, also an awesome character. Very likable. I actually worked on a project with Pedro Pascal, the, the actor who plays Mando. This guy loves to joke around on set. I mean, this guy was always talking and laughing it up. He's a real character in real life, which is kind of funny because it's really the, the polar opposite of the stoic Mandalorian. So credit to Pedro Pascal for playing a character so unlike himself. And it's that cold stoicism contrasted by his fondness for the baby Yoda that makes the Mandalorian an utterly likable character. And you know what? This is a problem that plagues all of the new films. There are no really likable characters. They're all two-dimensional, flat, uninteresting, and not well-defined. In the original movies, Luke, Leia, and Han were all well-defined, interesting, and likable. Luke was the eager young squire, Han the cavalier smuggler, and Leia the virtuous maiden with an attitude. They were brilliant. Even the supporting characters were phenomenal. Obi-Wan was the knight from a bygone era, now too old to fight, but not too old to teach the young squire the old ways. Chewie didn't even speak, but he had more charisma than most characters in films. And then there's Darth Vader. Darth fricking Vader. <laughs> I mean, I don't even need to detail the reasons why that character is amazing. In the new films, we've got Rey, who's basically a carbon copy of Luke, but as with all carbon copies, she's a pale imitation of the original. Now, I should say, before I really blast this character, that I like Daisy Ridley. I think she did a, a great job, and she's a fine actor, and she's likable. She was the right choice for the character that they wrote, but the character they wrote was pretty awful. Rey is a Mary Sue. Now, I go into more depth about this in my review of The Last Jedi, but for now, I'll simply say this. I think the writers of Force Awakens were so worried about messing up that they took a less-is-more approach, and they just included a very basic version of Luke as the character of Rey. She has no unique characteristics that make her interesting. All right, so she doesn't know who her parents are, but that's it. Other than that, she's pretty much a blank slate. There's nothing that defines her, in my mind, at all. 
nothing interesting or charming. I mean, I don't hate the character, but I don't love the character. If Ray died at some point during the first two movies, sadly, I really wouldn't have cared. And that's even more true for the other new characters. Finn, as a rogue stormtrooper, is a great idea, but the character is, again, nothing. What is interesting or unique about Finn? He's just a like a friend of Rey. That seems to be his entire character. I honestly tried to think of something interesting about him whilst I was writing this script, and I've got nothing. So, moving on. Poe. Now, Poe is my friend Kurt's favorite character in this new series. He's supposed to be the Han Solo of these movies. This character is played by Guatemalan actor Oscar Isaac, and I've actually also worked uh, on a project with him, um, and although we didn't interact that much, I didn't really have a problem with him. He was an amiable enough guy, and, you know, I think he's a good actor. But unlike my buddy Kurt, I don't love this character at all. And um, that's not Oscar's fault. He was well cast. I think he does a good job. But the character is incredibly poorly written. Much like Ray is a pale imitation of Luke, Poe is a pale imitation of Han. First of all, Han is a true rogue. He's he's not a great guy. I mean, he shoots first, for crying out loud. Han does not care about anyone or anything. He's, he's always looking out for number one. And toward the end of the original Star Wars film, he abandons the rebels in their greatest moment of need, and he flies off to go back to his rogue ways as a space smuggler. And then, at the very last minute, he swoops in, And he saves the day, blasting Darth Vader and sending him spinning off into space. His love for Leia and his respect for Luke and the value he places on those friendships is so important that he says, F it. He turns the Millennium Falcon back around and he risks it all to go back and join the rebel fight. He doesn't care about their cause, right? He just cares about his friends. It's one of the most exciting redemption character moments in all of cinema. But Poe... Poe doesn't have any of those layers. He doesn't shoot first. He doesn't redeem himself. I mean, there's nothing to redeem, really. He's a pretty good guy from the beginning of the films to the end. He's just a good pilot. And like Finn, there's just nothing unique or interesting about him. In fact, in The Last Jedi, he becomes nothing more than a punching bag for feminists, the personification of toxic masculinity used as an illustrative tool to teach the audience that men are bad and women are good. Now, if you're going to do a trilogy of sequels to Star Wars, and you're not going to make the main characters Luke, Han, and Leia, which again is insane, but if you're not going to do that, and you're going to instead hire a cast of completely new young actors, well, then at least write excellent, compelling, lovable, exciting new characters. Don't write boring, flat, uninteresting characters that nobody cares about. And that's one of the most fundamental, if not the most fundamental problem with these new films. I don't care one bit about any of these characters. There's a bit in the new movie where C-3PO is about to be deactivated and uh, there's a risk that he'll have his memory wiped forever. And he looks at Ray, Poe, and Finn and he says something like, I'm taking one last look at my friends. And it was at this moment that it struck me how little I cared about these characters. Had 3PO said this about Luke and Han and Leia, I'd be like, that's a touching moment. But with Ray, Poe, and Finn, I just thought, eh, if you forget these people, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And those are my thoughts on the franchise as a whole. So, how much worse does it get in the latest film, The Rise of Skywalker? Well, I have to say, sadly, and I really hate to say this because I, I really did not want to come out of the film feeling this way, but I really liked it. 
I really did. I mean, this film is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and and it's never going to be considered a classic like the original films, but I think The Rise of Skywalker may just have redeemed the new trilogy. Look, I'm aware of all the bad reviews that this film has gotten by by critics and even YouTubers. One of my favorite YouTubers, Shad M. Brooks of the YouTube channel Shadiversity, eviscerated this film. I mean, (laughs) he hates it, but he is totally wrong. (laughs) And you don't have to take my word for it, look at the audience score. Not bad. And it's in direct contrast to the abysmal critic score, which I think very well illustrates the disconnect between the elitist film critic perspective and the perspective of the general public. Most people just want to see a movie that's fun. Film critics demand some kind of BS SJW social commentary. I mean, look, I disagree with the fans a little bit on Force Awakens, but that's because I am an elitist writer who thinks he could have done a better job. And I was extremely disappointed that the film wasn't about Luke, Han, and Leia. Have I mentioned that yet? And this new film does suffer a little from the sins of that original film. The SJW casting is still in place, obviously. And the new boring characters are all still there, of course. And J.J. Abrams did have to follow some of the more moronic plot points that uh, Ryan Johnson had injected. And the films still aren't about Luke, Han, or Leia, uh, but considering what J.J. had to work with, considering the parameters that this film had to be written within, it is awesome. And I really wanted to hate it. I really did. I, I went in thinking... I'm going to get this list together of awful things about this movie, both leftist political propaganda and the bad writing and awful filmmaking mistakes, but mostly the leftist propaganda. But there really wasn't anything that bad. The acting was spotty in parts, and some of the plot stuff I would have done differently. There was some awkward timing, and I do think the plot got unnecessarily overcomplicated in places. But the basic meat and bones of the thing? Great. Now, here's one thought about this film that might be interesting to think about, and I don't know if any other reviewer has considered this, but this film didn't really need The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi. I mean, this film could have existed without either of those films coming before it, and it would still have worked. Of course, you'd still have to introduce the characters, but they were so underdeveloped in the previous two films that the introductions that we do have... They don't really add anything of value to the experience of watching this film. The plot of this film is so good, in fact, and relied so little on the previous two films that I actually thought, while watching it, why wasn't this the plot of the first new Star Wars film? This is a much better plot than freaking Force Awakens. And let me break down why. The film begins with Kylo Ren looking for the Emperor who was supposed to have been killed in Return of the Jedi. But apparently the Emperor had survived his fall down that shaft that Darth Vader uh, threw him down, um, but only just, and he's been clinging to life for the last 40 years by using this, like, super high-tech CPAP machine. I just, of course. eh. Actually, the mechanical life support system is obviously a well-established part of the Star Wars universe, and this version of it looks amazing. It's all just very cool. And I will say that the concept as well, the, the weakened Emperor's plan to regain his former strength, it's strongly reminiscent of Sauron in Lord of the Rings. Sauron's backstory was that uh, he had been slain many years prior to the events in Lord of the Rings, but had slowly regained his strength. And the entire story of the Lord of the Rings is uh, Sauron's trying to get his rings back to regain his full strength. Uh, this is also, by the way, totally ripped off for Voldemort in the Harry Potter series. But 
I digress. But I actually love that they use this for the story of the Emperor, because the Emperor is Sauron. He's always been Sauron. In fact, the original Star Wars was pretty much a total ripoff of Lord of the Rings. Everybody credits Flash Gordon and Westerns and Hero with a Thousand Faces, but the primary inspiration for the story of the original Star Wars film was the Lord of the Rings. The Emperor is Sauron, Darth Vader is Saruman, Obi-Wan Kenobi is Gandalf, Luke is Frodo, Han is Aragorn slash Strider, 3PO and R2 are Pippin and Merry. Point is, this was a great idea to use the story of Sauron as the inspiration for the continuation of the story of the Emperor. Perfect. Why didn't they do this from the beginning of the sequels? Why did they introduce Snoke for apparently no reason at all? I don't know. Maybe they hadn't properly thought it out. Anyway, so the film begins with Kylo Ren looking for the Emperor, and visually, these scenes are great. He finds the Emperor pretty much immediately in the film, and basically agrees to submit to him and to follow him as his new master. But this is all apparently a ruse, because Kylo Ren later reveals that his plan is to team up with Rey, because they're both crazy overpowered Sith-slash-Jedi, and together they should be able to take out the Emperor and rule the galaxy themselves. He just doesn't think he's powerful enough to take out the Emperor himself, so he needs Rey. But the Emperor has ordered Kylo to kill Rey, which actually makes no sense at all, given the final events of the film, but let's just ignore that enormous plot hole for now and move on. So then we cut to the heroes, who aren't actually half as interesting as the villains, uh, but they're definitely not as annoying as they've been in the previous films. Or maybe I was just in a good mood when I watched the film last night. I don't know. So the good guys also want to find the Emperor, and J.J. uses a pretty solid technique to drive that particular action of the film. He uses an object that will lead them to the Emperor. Now, they have to find this object, right? It's like the Emperor GPS. And having the heroes try to find this object was really a smart thing to do. Whenever there's an object central to the plot of a film, it's typically referred to as a MacGuffin. And this is an incredibly effective technique because it puts a lot of value on one thing. And everybody watching the film can feel anxiety or excitement or disappointment or happiness based on what happens to that object. So obviously Kylo Ren found his Emperor GPS right away, found the Emperor, and we've now moved on to the heroes. The heroes are having a much harder time finding their Emperor GPS than Kylo had. And so a pretty significant chunk of the movie is dedicated to them looking for this MacGuffin and trying to find the Emperor, which in hindsight, revealing the Emperor so early on was kind of a terrible idea. Because in in films where the characters are digging up clues and searching for something, half the fun is wondering what that thing's going to look like when we finally see it. And, And the reveal at the end when the characters finally find whatever it is they're looking for. There should be this wow moment where the audience can marvel at the majesty or the horror or the beauty or merely the scale of the thing that's been discovered. This is exemplified in Raiders of the Lost Ark when they finally open the Ark of the Covenant or in The Goonies when they finally find the pirate ship. But in this film, that's all actually ruined because Kylo Ren has already found the Emperor and we see this in the very beginning of the film, which is a great sequence, it's fantastic, but it does ruin the thrill of the much more effective reveal that we would have gotten later on. And actually, the satisfaction of finding the MacGuffin itself, the Emperor GPS thing, that's also ruined. Because when Rey finally gets to it, Kylo Ren shows up and smashes it. So, 
that's a bit anticlimactic. But the adventures of Rey and Poe and Finn trying to locate the Emperor are still pretty fun, and we do learn a few things along the way. For instance, Rey has the ability to force heal, where she can put her hand on somebody. In the first instance, it's this giant snake thing. And she can heal an open wound. And in general, I'm, I'm usually against making drastic changes to the Star Wars universe, like adding new Jedi powers, but in this case, I, I actually thought it was fine. It seemed like a power that a Jedi might have, and it's hinted at in the prequels written by George Lucas, Anyway, so, you know what, I think it's already kind of like established canon, if only as a suggestion. We also learn that Rey is crazy powerful with the Force, like way more than we've seen in previous films. In one scene, she actually uses the Force to stop a ship from leaving a planet, and it looks like she could have clearly pulled it all the way back down to the planet... Um, even with its thrusters fully blasting away. But she doesn't do that because that effort is sort of thwarted, but I won't spoil every shot in this movie. Anyway, the scene is pretty spectacular. In that same scene, we discover that when Rey gets mad, she can produce lightning like the Emperor, which it's sort of suggested later that this is an indication that she has access to the dark side of the Force if she lets it in. I mean, actually, it's a great visual illustration of her inner conflict. When she's filled with love, she can force heal. And when she's filled with hate, lightning. It's great. One of the stops along the way that the heroes have to go to in order to find the Emperor is the ruins of the Death Star, which has crashed onto one of the moons of Endor. Now, this is not the forest moon where the Ewoks live, but rather one called Kefbir. And it's a great-looking planet. Brutal, raw, desolate. It looks like northern Scotland. And uh, the ocean is just savage. It's very cool. Anyway, just before this scene, we have the biggest reveal of all. Rey is the Emperor's granddaughter. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, th this was a fan theory since, like, the first film. And I don't know if J.J. Abrams read that fan theory and thought, that's a good idea, or if that was the idea from the beginning. But it looks to me like that was always the idea. So, that was always the idea. Why wait until the third movie to reveal it? Or to reveal that the Emperor had survived the events of Return of the Jedi? I mean, had they revealed those two plot points in the first and second films, I would have been much more invested in these films, and I wouldn't have hated them nearly as much. Saving those revelations for this film is a huge mistake. All right, let's get back to the story. So, eventually, Rey does find the Emperor, and ugh, the ending is a bit of a mess, story-wise, but the broad strokes are actually very good. Basically, Rey and Kylo Ren confront the Emperor together, Rey having convinced Kylo to switch to the good side, and the Emperor, without really any effort at all, just sucks the Force energy out of Rey and Kylo, and he regains his full strength. Then Rey rises off the ground with the full force of all the Jedi who have come before her, and filled with their combined force energy, she's able to repel the Emperor's force lightning. And then she eviscerates him. <laughs> and everybody lives happily ever after. Cut to black, cue epic Star Wars music, the end. And that's the broad strokes. And the broad strokes are great, solid storytelling. But the details put a few kinks in the otherwise elegantly coiled hose of that storytelling. Okay, that was an odd analogy, but I stand by it. All right, now what do I mean by that? What details? Well, it's not actually Rey and Kylo that confront the Emperor at first. It's just Rey. And she's about to kill him when the Emperor suddenly says, Ha! 
that's actually what I want you to do, because then our souls will fuse together, and I'll be in a new, healthy, young body, and I can go on ruling the universe, my soul fused with the soul of my granddaughter, the rightful heir to the Imperial Throne of the Galaxy, in this new, cool, young body. And Ray's like, whoa, 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 no way, dude, not happening. But this kind of creates a dilemma in the story, because now what is she going to do? She can't kill him, so what? So then, in order to convince her to strike him down and soul merge, the Emperor opens up these Bombay doors and shows her that all of her friends are being killed off in this massive space battle. And then he says, listen, if you want to save your friends, you're going to have to join me. So, kill me and let's merge souls. And yes, this is obviously exactly the same scene as Return of the Jedi without the weird soul merging stuff. But actually, this was treated a lot more like an homage than what happened with The Force Awakens, and so I really didn't mind it so much. It just kind of seemed like, well, I guess this is what the Emperor does, kind of his thing. All right, so then Rey is like, ugh, crap, fine. And, uh, and she starts walking forward really slowly and solemnly as if she's going to go through with it and soul merge with her grandfather, which, you know, really isn't convincing at all. And, uh, I mean, you know that's not going to happen. So, really, you're watching the movie just waiting to see what the next twist is, you know. So then who shows up but Kylo Ren? And he's all running in slow motion to save her, you know, before they... That you know, she merges souls with Grandpa. So Kylo gets there, and uh, Ray and Kylo both raise up their lightsabers in unison, which does look pretty cool. Um, but didn't we just establish that you can't kill the Emperor? So what are you doing? But whatever. Anyway, so then what could possibly happen next? But another plot twist. The Emperor's like, just kidding. He didn't want a soul merge at all. He reveals that he was actually just buying time until Kylo showed up because apparently Kylo and Rey are so incredibly strong with force energy that the two of them together can bring the Emperor back to full strength or whatever. So he then pretty much effortlessly sucks the force energy out of Rey and Kylo and becomes his old evil Emperor self fully charged and ready to go. Meanwhile, Rey and Kylo are lying on the ground, literally drained of energy. But then Kylo lifts himself up, and he's ready to fight the Emperor one last time. And the Emperor's like, Hey, your grandfather threw me down a horrible pit to die. So you know what? I'm going to throw you down a horrible pit to die. And with a flick of his bony wrist... Kylo was tossed like a ragdoll into this cavern thing down to his death. So, then the Emperor looks up at the battle above him and he's like, you know what? I'm so powerful right now, I can totally take out, like, all of those spaceships with my force lightning thing because I am so freaking overpowered right now, it's crazy. And that's exactly what he does. And it's actually a pretty cool thing to see in the movie. It's pretty epic. And now all the good guys in the space battle are, are all getting killed off from this force lightning. And, and Ray's still passed out on the ground. And uh, things are looking pretty grim. But then, Ray hears the voices of all the Jedi who have come before. Luke and Obi-Wan and Yoda and several other Jedi that nobody cares about. And she realizes that all the Jedi who have ever come before her are now channeling their force energy through her. And she can totally take out the Emperor. So she stands up, crank starts her lightsaber, and she stands there like, Come at me, bro. 
And the emperor's like, oh, oh, you want to go? I mean, okay, you know, I'm just going to kill you, but whatever. And so then he turns all of his 1.21 gigawatts of force lightning onto Rey. But Rey is like crazy overpowered now too. So she she blocks all of this with her lightsaber and, and then she grabs Kylo's lightsaber and she's got this pair of lightsabers crossed, you know, and she's walking forward toward the Emperor and he's like, oh crap, how is she even doing this? And then, pew, he's all like eviscerated by his own force lightning. Okay, so the good guys win, Emperor dead, everybody's happy, right? But then, because of all the immense effort that it took to do all of that, Ray dies, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Uh, but then, plot twist, Kylo Ren's not dead, right? Comes crawling out of the crevasse that he was thrown into and uh, runs up to Ray and he's like, No, Ray's dead, right? And, I mean, he's like all upset and stuff. Actually, great acting. By the way, I really don't like Adam Driver. I, I really do not enjoy watching him on screen. I've seen him in several projects. I've never liked him at all. But in this movie, he's great. His acting is brilliant, especially in this scene. Uh, I mean, he's interesting and he's convincing. And uh, yeah, this is the first time I've ever liked watching Adam Driver in any movie ever. All right, so back to the story. So Kylo's all like holding Ray and he's like crying and he's all upset. And then he's thinking like, wait, you know what? She has this force healing power. I mean, I could probably do that, right? You know what? Let, let's just try it. Let's just try it. <laughs> but, but the thing is, Ray isn't injured. She is very clearly dead. So he would actually be bringing her back to life, which would be pretty crazy uh, within the Star Wars universe. But he tries it anyway. And uh, I mean, it's not working. Uh, but then after like 30 seconds, suddenly it works. And, you know, you're watching this movie. And you're like, seriously? I can't believe that worked. He brought Ray back from the dead. And, I mean, I, I actually don't really like the way that it was acted or shot or, you know, and I don't like the music that was used for that particular scene. I don't think any of that was really done right for that moment. Uh, but still, it was a good idea. And it did seem pretty impressive. And then Ray wakes up and she's like, wow, thanks. You totally just brought me back to life. And the two of them kind of look at each other for a second. And then Ray grabs him and they kiss. <laughs> All right. Now, I don't know about you guys, but and, and maybe it's just the lack of chemistry between the two of them. But I always thought of Ray and Kylo you know, like there was some kind of brother and sister thing. They did not seem like they had a romantic connection in any of their scenes together in any of the movies. So that was an awkward surprise. <laughs> but then I was like, well, I guess I could get behind this. I mean, I have to interpret like every scene between these two totally differently in my head, but fine. But just as I had reconciled this bizarre thing in my head, Kylo Ren Plops over dead. Plot twist, 9,724, and that was only in this five-minute sequence of the film. And it was very awkward. Kylo dies, Rey kills the Emperor, Rey dies, Kylo's not dead, Kylo saves Rey, they kiss, Kylo dies. It's just too much dying and coming back to life in one movie. Certainly too much 
for a five minute sequence. So as I said, good story in the broad strokes, not so good when you consider the details. And look, actually, I mean, the idea was very powerful. I mean, that's a very powerful thing to happen for Kylo Ren to have become good because of this girl, Rey. And then after Rey dies, he somehow conjures up the will to bring her back to life with his force powers. Uh, but it's it's such a drain on him that it kills him. I mean, that's quite a sacrifice. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a real redemption moment. That's very powerful. But because they added that kiss in the middle of it, it just was weird. It was it was very poorly timed. You know, I feel like with I feel like with J.J. Abrams, he's always trying to have his cake and eat it too. I think J.J. Abrams always has like ten different possible uh, you know directions that a scene could go. Maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand, and he finds the ones that work the best. Right, because there's there's a couple of options here, right? Kylo brings Ray back to life. Ray is grateful. The two of them realize that they love each other. They kiss. They live happily ever after. Another option: Kylo brings Ray back to life. She wakes up, but because it's such a drain on Kylo, he dies. And you see, oh wow, he you know he sacrificed himself for Ray after Ray turned him good. That's a really powerful moment. But it's it, but it's almost like J.J. Abrams couldn't decide which one to do. So he's just like. You know what? Let's do both. And they don't work together. You can't do both. You got to choose one, man. And this is a problem that plagued I think a couple of moments in the film, but this was the most striking. This is this was pretty bad. But again, broad strokes good, details not so good. But now the reason that this got poor reviews had nothing to do with any of these problems that I've mentioned already. The reason that this got poor reviews by critics is summed up by one review I read in particular. This is from somebody by the name of Sean Burns from the New England Movies Weekly. He wrote, the elephant in the room here is that they accidentally made a real movie last time. So, of course, J.J. Abrams was brought back on board to make sure nothing like that ever happened again. But we all know The Last Jedi was awful. So, for this guy to call it a real movie indicates to me the true feelings of these critics. They actually like all of the SJW crap. They need a social justice message that, for the rest of us, ruins the films. The best thing about The Rise of Skywalker is that it is devoid of SJW and feminist nonsense. There is, of course, the lingering problem with the casting of the main characters. I mean, in the first two films, they brought in a girl, a black guy, and a Guatemalan guy for the main cast, and then killed off pretty much every white guy who ever existed in the history of Star Wars. And so, I mean, how are you going to fix that? It is what it is. The damage is done. They do bring in a couple of new major characters, but both are women, and one is a black woman. So, <laughs> with regard to the cast, they could have maybe been a little bit more inclusive in this movie. Maybe by casting a single white guy, but whatever. Honestly, at this point, they've become so overtly political that this has become the new normal for SJW Star Wars. And relative to the massive SJW madness of the previous two films, especially The Last Jedi, I mean, I'll take it. I hate the SJW-motivated crap, but this is pretty mild, relatively speaking. And I also forgive them for this film's continuation of the white male hatred in casting because they actually did cast a few white males. I actually think these guys were in The Force Awakens as well, but it's been quite a while since I've seen that movie, if I'm honest. So 
I'm not sure. But it's the guy from Lost and the guy from Heroes. So, J.J. Abrams' buddies. <laughs> but uh, two white guys with actual lines are part of the good side in the new Star Wars films. I can hardly believe it. It's madness, people. And there's even a black woman in the leadership of the bad guy side, which is like, what? What is this craziness? I was shocked, I'll be honest. I was shocked. A little equal opportunity, good guy, bad guy, racial makeup. It was a beautiful thing to see. My guess is that the executives at Disney were like, okay, listen, Kathleen Kennedy, cool your jets on the whole SJW virtue signaling. It's obvious to everybody what you're doing here, and everybody is annoyed by this. And we're still, you are ruining these movies. Just back off and let J.J. take the reins. But J.J. Abrams went a little bit further than just detoxing the film from the SJW saturation. He also gave a big F.U. to Ryan Johnson for messing up Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Hardcore fans will definitely appreciate this. So then, um, you remember in The Last Jedi, Luke famously, like, tosses his lightsaber over his shoulder? I'm over it, you know. Walks off, whatever, don't need any lightsaber. This cavalier attitude of Luke's was not received well by fans, nor by Mark Hamill, who ranted on endlessly about how they ruined his character. (laughs) This ruining of Luke Skywalker was reinforced throughout the movie by Luke constantly saying, the Jedi is over, the Jedi need to die, no more Jedi, burn the temple and the ancient books, kill off all memory of the Christian patriarchy. I mean, the Jedi. So J.J. was clearly unhappy with Luke's uncharacteristic dismissiveness. And he introduced a scene in this new film where Rey throws Luke's lightsaber into a fire. But just as she does this, Luke appears as a force ghost and catches the lightsaber. And he says, a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. A complete 180 from his character in The Last Jedi. It was brilliant. So, I mean, J.J. Abrams clearly tried to fix a lot of the things that annoyed fans from The Last Jedi, and he tried to tamp down on a lot of the SJW stuff. But, at the end of the film, I must warn you, there is one pretty egregious SJW virtue signal that did annoy me. At the end of the film, when everyone is celebrating and hugging, etc., they throw in a lesbian kiss. <laughs> I mean, I saw that and I thought, seriously, you had to do that? You got through the entire film with barely a hint of SJW BS and then you throw that in. Really? Really? And in case you were wondering, it's not like a sexy lesbian kiss. It's like a granola-eating, Birkenstock-wearing, Subaru-driving lesbian kiss. But you know what? I think the compromise was worth it. I was so ready to hate this movie. and I was so disgusted with how they had destroyed the franchise up until this point that the lesbian kiss, much like the perpetual killing off of old white men and the seemingly compulsive resistance to hiring new ones, I mean, it just didn't seem like as big of a deal as it would have been if all of these films had been good from the start. It seemed like a tiny jab of the ribs with a pocket knife after a thousand massive blows with a machete. It was annoying, but it didn't utterly ruin the movie for me. One last thing I wanted to say about this film. I've always criticized J.J. Abrams for one thing, a fatal flaw that I believe plagues all of his projects. J.J. Abrams can't write endings. Watch anything that J.J. Abrams has ever directed or produced or written. The endings suck. He's always cared a lot about the storytelling, but he's never really learned to write a satisfying ending. Well, 
I think he's redeemed himself a little here. It's not the best ending in the history of cinema, but it was satisfying. And that's really what counts. I still think that JJ should call me to consult on every project that he does, just so that I can write him a killer ending for all of his projects. But that will, I can say with total confidence, never happen. So I do suspect that the bad ending curse will rear its ugly head yet again in future Abrams projects. That said, in this instance, he redeemed himself a little. This was a strong ending. Well done, JJ. In all, I would say that the story was solid. The action sequences were great and the locations were cool. The movie was just a hell of a lot of fun. These films will never be as good as they could have been because they weren't about Luke Skywalker. They weren't about Han Solo. They weren't about Princess Leia. They were about characters that we don't care about. But I think that for all the problems I have with this new trilogy, because of how good Rise of Skywalker is, I now believe that if J.J. Abrams had been given full creative control with no Kathleen Kennedy and no Ryan Johnson to completely foul things up with the second film... I think this trilogy would actually have been pretty good. True fans of the original trilogy will never get the sequels that we want, but maybe J.J. Abrams redeemed the films that we did get just a little with The Rise of Skywalker. A pretty good film. I do recommend that you go and see it. Now before I go, I want to remind everybody to donate $5 to my GoFundMe for my cartoon show, AOC and the Squad. Alright, well that's it for me folks. Thanks for sitting through all of that. I know it was a long one. And remember... It's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And may the force be with you. The goal for all of us should be that one day things will be done neither because of nor in spite of any of the differences between us. Ethnic differences or racial differences, whatever they may be, that we will have total equal opportunity for all people. And I would do everything I could in my power to bring that about.